Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Behold, a dream did come to me in the night, and the Lord did show all this to me. Praise God! Praise the Lord! A time of tribulation has come. A test is at hand. The final test. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. And he who walks behind the rose did say, I will send outlanders amongst you, a man and a woman. And these outlanders will be unbelievers and profaners of the holy. Today, as part of our Bargain Bin series, we'll be discussing The Children of the Corn. Starring... Pizza Horton. I spy, by the by, something that begins with the letter C. Corn. Right. So now we know. Back roads are even less interesting than the highway. Linda Hamilton. Why don't we just go on to Hemingford? It'll take us 20 minutes. We just found people. Yeah, three kids who tried to steal our car. There's something very strange about this town. John Franklin. Sarah has the gift of sight. She warned us of the coming of the interlopers. Question not my judgment, Malachi. I am the giver of his word. And Courtney Gaines. Outlander! Your blood will spill unless you give yourself up. You won't wait much longer. Night is coming. Night is his time. Directed by Fritz Kirsch. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The Lord has chosen me as the bringer of his word and the giver of his laws. <laughs> it's Gally in Glasgow. They had game and music. It's Devon in London. No more books and studies. Now I can stay all day with my buddies. I can do the things I want to do because all my exams are through. It's Patrick in London. The blue man. Yes. The blue man. It's Matt in South Korea. Oh, welcome back, gang, the full gang. And of course, welcome back, listeners. May I just say, listeners, that we are we are doing something that was not scheduled. But we figured after a, a period of time away from the pod, which was Matt on his Holly Bobs mm. with his family. So before we get into why we're doing this film, Matt, how was... Uh, how, how are the rents and the, the sisters? I hope you said hello. Of from, course. From us. Yeah, yeah, they're... Um... Very good, but we're all much, much fatter. We've been eating. It was, a, it was a food holiday in a big way. So lots of coffee, lots of food. So now it's losing it. That's what, that's what we've got to do now. So, uh, Did you get the train to Busan? Uh, well, they, they've been to Seoul and Busan before, but I was, I was telling you just before we rolled, my dad actually watched Train to Busan. He <laughs> never usually watches a zombie film, but after you've been to the place, I think you sort of kind of, want to see what it's like but yeah we, we took the bus just for uh safety i've got a i've got a diet plan for you matt considering please you've been, uh, having food babies nutritious corn yeah how's about some corn in your diet you know that high in cellulose <laughs> insoluble fiber that the body cannot digest <laughs> how's about some of that get that corn <laughs> out of my face exactly <laughs> Listeners, I'm not, I'm not, uh, kind of like preambling my criticism here, but sometimes when you eat corn, it can stay undigested in your body and come out in your shit. So 
let that image stick with you. <laughs> wow, what an introduction. Indeed. So, uh, well, Devlin, this was your choice, right? So we're doing a bargain mm. bin, listeners. We thought yeah. we would come out of the gates with something a little light of touch. Um, and Devlin, this was your choice, of which this is our second King-adjacent movie. Let it not be forgotten that Lawnmower Man was... Stephen yes. King wrote on a napkin lawnmower man and then they made that and put his name on it stephen king's <laughs> the lawnmower man which they then legally made him take it off it did indeed this one wow. slightly different right uh short story 17 pages long uh all about the corn right <laughs> yeah i i um i was sort of we were a bit stuck you and i because it, it was potentially going to just be the two of us recording an episode so um we had a little phone call and I foolishly said, oh, we've not covered a horror in a while, not thinking that that's all we've done. <laughs> and we, we, it's our we, bread and butter. We did The Exorcist, Exorcist a, f- a few weeks ago when Jaws 3 just happened. It's not really horror, but... Ineffective that's where, that's where you'd file it. And uh, I had I had rewatched Children of the Corn. It came up on uh, Shudder, just doing the, the, the where you can find it now, because it's, it's already in it. It's also available on Freebie. And... Um, I, I'd rewatched it just because I, I had a lot of fond memories of it, mainly just the, the cover image and the poster. It was kind of ubiquitous for a while there in the 80s. Um, but I hadn't seen it in many, many, many a year, and I had a little rewatch, and I thought it was kind of fun and a bit of a uh, an odd little film. And I figure everyone remembers it to an extent, but I would probably say that the vast majority of people haven't thought about it in 25 years. Mm. Well, maybe maybe this year because they released the they made it yeah. in 2020, didn't mm. they? And then they so should a I think a part contributors uh, of the the now 2020 COVID delay right? of Children of the Corn. Yeah, I think so. Uh, they they filmed it during mm. COVID. Um, this is the this is a the eleventh installment. <gasps> listeners, eleventh. Yeah, yeah, eleven. <laughs> That's uh, eight eight direct sequels, and this is the second remake. Now there was another remake somewhere in the mid twenty two thousand eight, I think. think. Two thousand eight, mm, yeah. So w- what we're gonna do is we're gonna say, well, let's go back to formula, right? So let's see if the original was good enough to, you know, justify eleven or ten more things being made. But I was saying that these bargain bins, not only are they ubiquitous. The value is, and I'm very guilty of this, is when we watch, and again, this is not kind of, I'm giving away my sandwich a little bit, but when we watch like really good films, so when we watch The Exorcist and we watch the original Jaws and some of the great films that we've we've covered on the show, I sometimes take it for granted that that's, that it's just easy, right? But then you <laughs> watch, then you watch other films where they fumble the ball in certain areas and actually these types of movies that we look at that's the value right it's not that we're just going to poke fun and, and laugh and giggle and go Linda Hamilton's shorts are very long in this they're not really short <laughs> we will do that Donald Glover's pants are very saggy in criticism <laughs> exactly but it's more about like some of the film making techniques that we see employed in better fare that we just take for granted and they're highlighted in these types of movies I, w- I will leave it there Dev, why, why you said you wanted a horror, but we've done mm. horror. But, but why, why this film? Why it really did just pop up. It will actually. Um, uh, this is potentially going to be an episode further down the line. I was um, like, I think a lot of a kind of as you exit the preteens and enter the very early teens. I think uh, a lot of us probably latched onto Stephen King 
He was very, very, very famous when we were young. He was one of the few authors that we'd know. Uh, his books always looked amazing. They usually had little foil bits on the cover, so they were very enticing. So I remember reading quite a few Stephen Kings, probably, I mean, maybe starting from like eight or nine. Um, the one that, that actually jumped out first was uh, uh, the adaptation of Needful Things, which was a book that I, I used to really love when I was a kid. Um, but it felt a little heavy going. Also, Galley had never uh, heard of it. So I thought, well, I was in the Stephen King headspace. Let's just pivot. I was like, everyone's seen Children of the Corn, probably at some point, or at least they've seen 10 minutes of it, or at least they know what it is. Um, it's, uh, I think it's much like something like its obvious uh, um, precedent, uh, Village of the Damned slash Children of the Damned. It's a concept that everyone's aware of, even if they've not seen the film. So um, yeah, and I'd, I'd rewatched it recently. I don't know why it popped up. Uh, on my on my little feed, and I was like, "That's that's the one for me." I watched it on a Tuesday night, and uh, <laughs> I, 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 I wrote it better than my journal later. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I journaled it. I journaled it in my dream diary. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, this is how we end up with Children of the Corn. Honestly, just a, a, a spur of the moment decision, but one that I'm quite happy with because I find it quite a fascinating little film, to be honest. Patrick, I took it from uh, your uh, reaction there that you have not seen this film. I've not, no, I, um, first time this week, but uh, I kind of pleasantly recognized some things in it when I was watching it, um, aka, AKA uh, Isaac and his hat, that seemed to okay. be an image I was familiar with, um, and something in the cornfield with the crucifix that stirred a, a memory somewhere. So, you know, whether I've seen it in a, in a film show down the line, that's exploring horror or something, I'm not, I'm not sure, but the image of Isaac seems to be one that I feel like I'm familiar with from elsewhere. I even looked up to see if it was in the Simpsons. Cause I thought this is ringing some Simpsons bells, but maybe that was just village yeah. of the damned um, mm. from, from the references, which I am familiar with village of the damned. I watched that when I was a, a lot younger, but um, no, not this one. I had no idea that it had so many uh, sequels. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the cliffhanger at, at, at the end that will lead, lead on to these films, <laughs> but I, I don't know anything about them. So if you do, I'll look forward to, hearing about those as well yeah so i'd seen it once uh as a youngling uh late <laughs> night and and I, I so i remember vividly this really scaring the shit out of me as a child oh wow um, i think it's one of those and we, we can talk about it um so the opening sequence as a grabber is is, is up there i think um but but I'd completely and utterly exercised the demon and I'd forgotten everything. So watching it this week was was like watching it for the first time. Um, okay. And, and in, a, in a way, that was useful. But mm. it's strange, isn't it, how memory can distort? Because I remember it being... I remember things that were not in it, and I also remember it being terrifying throughout, which... Mm. is not the reality <laughs> um but but yeah so i've got a small history and a bit like devlin you know you move from rl stein goosebump series then you go to stephen king then you read king and you realize <laughs> there is other authors out there maybe a little bit better with the prose and then you you know you develop as you become an adult you know then you start reading uh, chuck paliuk and you think oh my god this is revolutionary and then you read more and you go hmm bit of a one-trick pony that guy so then you know what i mean so you you just go on and go forth don't you in your um literary journey 
anyway, I'll stop talking. Matt, any history with the with the corn apart from obviously your you know diet that's inbound? So. <laughs> well, in, I'll tell you in, Green in Korea they put corn on pizza. They put lots of corn on on. If you order a margarita, mm. you're gonna they're gonna sneak some corn on, and I think they've just got too much. They're just they're just trying to <laughs> trying to get rid of it all. But uh, I'd never seen children of the corn in spite of it being available on probably every video shop shelf growing up. I remember the cover like you, Dev. I remember it just being there. I knew it had a Stephen King connection. I was aware of the child dressed in black that sort of looks like a weird Winona Ryder in Beetlejuice, uh, who I now know as Isaac. And I think you're right, Patrick. It's kind of a, an iconic thing when he's looking through that window of the diner. Um, you sort of yeah. know it, even if you don't know it. Um, the uh, Recently, I plowed through all three incredibly long In Search of Darkness documentaries. And if anyone doesn't know them, they're these uh, kind of fan-funded, like Kickstarter, I think, like 80s horror documentaries. And they're all like four or five hours long. And they just dedicate these snippets to each uh, film. Uh, and they're all 80s horror. And I think the third one was uh, uh, specifically focused on video releases. So I think Children of the Corn was probably in the first one or the second one. Um, so it was spoiler alerted a little bit, but I, as those documentaries moved quite quickly, I'd forgotten a lot of it. Uh, I remembered cornfields and a fire and a conspiracy and Linda Hamilton. And, uh, yeah, so I, I went in relatively blind here. Uh, I haven't seen any of the sequels, same as you, Patrick. And, uh, after researching them, I probably won't. Uh, but, uh, Yeah. That's that's about the extent of my experience with it. It's 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 a ubiquitous choice again, as you said, but um, it never never found its way into the VHS. Mm, mm. Can I uh, can I just posit a theory on this uh, striking imagery of Isaac in his hat? Are we not are we not just thinking Randy Quaid <laughs> and Kingpin here? Or you, uh, <laughs> the creepy I'm, I'm sure that you're yeah. just yeah yeah I think you're pulling. You know, I may have mixed my images. Yeah. You're doing a monster. Anyway, um, one of the things we uh, started to do on the show. Uh, team is uh, just a little kind of history on the pre-production and kind of how this thing uh, gets up and running i don't really have a great deal on this one all i will say and this kind of um, feeds into some of the low-fi budgetary restraints is that this is a well was roger corman's company he sells Mm. his company the what the year before Yes, Evelyn? this is uh, this is the first slate of the post Corman New World pictures, um, yes. and we've talked uh, Roger many moved, many times. Yeah, he is. He moved he fast, is, man. Yeah, he, he would, moved uh, fast, you know, he moved cheap. A bit like Fassbender. Um, he was a lot like. Uh, uh, <laughs> That's the only podcast where you'll get that um, <laughs> comparison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he, he started out at uh, uh, AIP or, or possibly even before, but he did a lot of work at AIP back in the 60s and very early 70s. Then he moved on, and I believe that's when he set up New World Pictures, and he kept that promotion going for uh, roughly a decade, maybe a little over. Um, he sold it to basically like some investment guys, from what I can gather. Uh, um, so there is actually a, uh, an interview with director Fritz Kirsch, on a uh, Portland-based late-night spooky radio show. I'll put a link in the uh, show notes to this one because if anyone's genuinely interested in what the guy's got to say, he's uh, he's very um, uh, generous with his time and his recollections of the film. I won't go too much into it because 
it'll be if, if you're that interested well and he's a first time director right dev so that's uh you know he's coming from commercials yeah he's a commercials yeah. guy yeah so he would so he talked about on on the um on the, the the radio show podcast about how you know you had the the brit guys came in and started swaggering and pissing all over uh the americans chips you know like the um the scott brothers and whatnot coming across from from england and he said that a lot of the english directors came in and started taking a lot of the high high profile high budget commercials work but he was um he was a very successful commercials director him and his uh producing partner had a company together um this film was, as far as I can tell, the, the order of events goes, this film was actually, or the book, the short, which is uh, originally from the late 70s, published in Penthouse magazine, was the first place that the uh, the short story was ever published. And then it was collected into, is it the Night Shift? Yeah, that's it's the, the Night the, Shift the series. So, yeah, yeah that's the, the first kind of load of, it's basically just like story. a content dump of, yeah, of he, our he, ideas, right? Um and uh, this story gets optioned, as far as I can tell, first by Hal Roach, the creator of The Little Rascals. Alfalfa! Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then he ends up partnering with, uh, with the nascent New World, who obviously have some money to spend and at least some experience in putting together like very low-budget productions. Uh, mm. One of the guys who took over New World was a guy who Fritz Kirsch knew from back in his commercials days, and he basically has brought in to... Um, uh, he wants to help guide the early slate. They want some films out quickly because, you know, when you when you acquire a company and you acquire the rights to things, you are cash negative, mm. so you need to start churning yeah. out content. And that's um, important to know, right, Devs, that, okay, yeah. Corman, who is like the, you know, the spearhead of this, this movement through the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, moves on, but the company is continuing his vision, right? And his yeah. methodology, which is quick, dirty, and yeah. topical right? as well. See, uh, yeah. The making so of where, where are we the making of went into a bit more detail on from what oh. Dev was was saying. Fritz Kirsch was owed a favor by the producer, uh, okay. as he allowed him to use his offices during the making of some of the, the commercials he'd done. So when this guy finally right. I forget the guy's name, but when he finally got hold of these scripts and, and one of them was ready to go, Children of the Corn, it was on this tight budget, tight schedule. The first guy he went to was Fritz Kirsch. Um, also because the director had contacts of lots of kids through the commercials that he'd done. So he just said to him, bring your friends and mm. let's do this as, as the first yeah. one. So that's why he was uh, thought of first, I think. Mm. Ah, cool. And and where's, where's King at <laughs> this point? I believe he'd written the first draft of this, but that um, it changed hands a few times so the, the short the story was already i think 1977 the, the short story was from the right yeah uh yeah. and i think the night shift collection would have probably come out not long after that and that's where most people i, I doubt the majority of middle america was reading penthouse at that point or at least not admitting to it so yeah it wasn't until it was published in the short story collection that i would imagine it got its notoriety in terms of the shoot um it was a four-week shoot uh and there's a 1.3 million budget Four but weeks. Kiesch said most of it went to King. So he made a a few bucks on this one. So the film was actually made for about eight hundred thousand, they estimated. Buying buying Stephen King's name. Because it's interesting to think like like I was saying that Stephen King was probably the only named writer that I would know as being a famous writer when I was a kid. So um it's always interesting to see like where that developed from because his 
his big break was was Carrie, so that's uh, seventy six. Mm-hmm. So it's like eight years after he became a thing. We've also had The Shining at this point, and Cujo and The Dead Zone and Christine were all Christine, the year yeah. for this. So that's quite a lot of content. Also, he'd he'd co-created Creepshow as well. So um, his star was probably very rapidly ascending in terms of like his his public consciousness. Although I doubt he was yet quite the brand slash punchline that he would later become. This was actually the year it dropped off a bit, I thought, because it was Children of the Corn and Firestarter Mm. that sort of... When was Pet Sematary? It was a bit later. 89? 89, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is like two years before King cashed in his chips on um, uh, Maximum Overdrive. I would say that's the point at which... Yeah, that's the point, um, isn't it? And that's when it starts going from... I mean, this is obviously still a film, but the product, you know, the production company itself is a is a down and dirty corman production but mm. you you see his adaptations go from films to tv films to tv series yeah. and, and you know it, you would call it a decline he's still getting regular i mean again most authors don't get any adaptations. and there's some great films to yeah. come like yeah. the latest stuff stand by me was on its way and then misery yeah uh, apt pupil that i yeah kind of enjoyed back in the day and then Shawshank and Green Mile so all, all okay. the good stuff kind of comes a little bit later too you know don't forget about the running man under the pseudonym I had no idea Richard Bachman right he was he was told to stop fucking writing that's why that was he was too prolific and his, his uh, publishers said that he was literally cannibalizing <laughs> his own market by putting out so many fucking books so he started just writing under the under the name <laughs> Richard Bach where are we in the slasher phase of the 80s uh, 84 on, aren't we um nightmare on elm street same year same and year. you're on probably at this point three to four fridays it's also the same year as terminator so it's uh it's 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 really boom time for slashes really 84 i think you're you kind of slash white. this slash that <laughs> yeah I, I, I'll, i've got some pointers about slashing certain bits in this film <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it um <laughs> but cool okay well that that provides our listeners with some context and it also provides us for our discussion so before we do that though i need directions to the corn so uh patrick would you uh... oh, guess ain't got, ain't got no diesel neither what do they have? A monopoly on road signs? God. <laughs> did, uh, did Stephen King watch Friday the 13th as well? The, the hermit that warns you. Yeah. And then he becomes the pet cemetery guy, doesn't he? Which is like, uh, oh, no, 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 I do like that he uses his dog as his assistant mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted, uh, I wanted like a Wayne's World thing. Can we get a better, like, uh, <laughs> uh, Gordon Street. <laughs> <laughs> well remembered. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Patrick, would you uh, would you please remind us and the listeners of the plot to Children of the Corn? About three years ago, in the town of Gatlin, Nebraska, the corn crop has failed, and the locals turn to prayer in order to stop the rot. While nine-year-old Isaac Croner takes all the children in Gatlin to the cornfields for a meeting to plot the murder of all the adults. It's going to kill them as human sacrifices, and duly tears through the town with accomplice Malachi leading the slaughter. Children Joby and Sarah didn't make the meeting, Sarah taking ill and drawing new visions of the attack as Joby watches his father killed at the cafe. It's three years later. The children haven't aged a day, 
As a young boy named Joseph packs his bags and escapes Gatlin, running through the cornfield as Joby and Sarah helps as lookout. Joseph couldn't take it anymore and warns Sarah to not let Isaac and Malachi find her vision drawings. During his escape, he's attacked in the corn. Meanwhile, after a sexy birthday serenade, Vicky and Bert drive into Bert's new job in Seattle, passing the time imitating pastors and playing I Spy. Then, distractedly, they hit a mannequin in the road, uh, sorry, Joseph in the road, who has stumbled out after his injuries. Bert's suspicion is raised as he notices Joseph's throat has been cut. He and Vicky want to seek a phone call for help and head to Gatlin. En route, they come across old mechanic Deal who dissuades Bert and Vicky and tells them to head to Hemingford instead, keeping his word to Isaac in order to divert potential visitors. But Malachi breaks their pact and kills Deal after he's talked to Bert and Vicky, who appeared in one of Sarah's vision drawings. Isaac rallies the children of the cult in the, uh, against the outlanders, Vicky and Bert, the unbelievers who will make good sacrifices to he who walks behind the rose. Praise God! Praise the Lord! Vicky and Bert explore the desolate town and chase some kids encountering Sarah before Malachi and followers take Vicky to the cornfield and place her on a cross. Bert enters the church to find a bloody ritual for birthday boy Amos, who just turned 19 and subsequently now of age for his passing to join their god in the cornfield. The congregation is led by a girl called Rachel, who, despite Bert's protests, stabs him before he flees and escapes the chase of Malachi and his followers, aided by Joby and Sarah. Malachi overthrows Isaac, despite the warning of punishment and the wrath of he who walks behind the rose, and Isaac is placed on a cross. Bert sneaks into the cornfield at night to save Vicky as a supernatural being, takes Amos for his passing, and consumes Isaac. Bert righteously preaches to the children himself to denounce he who walks behind the rose and overcomes Malachi before a revived and more powerful Isaac returns to kill Malachi. A storm rages in the area. Bert and Sarah translate a passage in the Bible reading fire and brimstone to mean fire and set to burn the field, delayed by some supernatural corn before dousing the field in gasoline. The storm shaping into a demonic red cloud and tremors chasing Joby and Bert, who throws a Molotov cocktail into the field, setting it ablaze and dispelling the cloud. They think they've killed it and Isaac. Rachel reappears, but Vicky knocks her out and all is well in the world again. The nuclear family has two new little munchkins to join them on their new journey. Very good, Patrick. Very good. I will say this. Tremors at the end, but Tremors was 1990, so we'll we'll give Children (laughs) of the Corn Hmm. Some credit by, you know, inventing uh, the imagery of graboids. Um, but anyway. Uh, graboids. Can, yeah. Can I, hmm. can I get, let's just start from the, from the beginning. I've got to say, it's pretty shocking, pretty alarming and very, very good, cold grabbing opening. Right. I mean, I, I was like, holy shit. The only way is up. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I was like, um well i i really like the um the the use of the uh kind of quiet eerie rustling corn images it's something Mm. that i think gets almost entirely recycled in um halloween Uh. even though it doesn't make any sense in halloween 4 because it's supposed to be in the suburbs of the the opening static shots i thought were a bit like the end of the first halloween but he just 
They just put them at mm, the beginning. Right. And I wondered, yeah, they were so good, I wondered mm-hmm. if they were second unit because I'm, there was a bit of an inconsistency <laughs> between what... Uh, <laughs> well, that that might be the, the commercials guy Could in be. it, though, like that he can create, you know, these these nice kind of moments. Um, it was a good choice to, to keep it quiet, to just have the sound of the rustling and then to have the creepy kind of choir come in and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, good, it's good sense of place, isn't it? It's telling yeah. us where we are. And even the... A little bit of exposition on the church notice board. The corn is failed. I like that. Yeah. Corn drought. It's visual. Corn drought. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's it's good setting up of of. A, and then of a comes the voiceover. Go on, man. <laughs> I don't know. There's a kid in a dicky bow with a with a milk mustache who does all the uh, sort of expositional voiceover. <laughs> Uh, that's a, such an odd sequence. There's no sense of impending danger and trepidation. In, Hi, my name right. is Joby. I'm in a diner. Yeah. It's like so. He doesn't fall into the category of. Uh, yeah. Creepy Stephen King kid, does he? It was about three years ago. I was the only kid in church that day. The others were with Isaac out in the cornfield. I didn't get to go because Dad didn't like Isaac. He was pretty smart, my dad. After church, we went to Hanson's, just like always. Sarah was homesick with Mom. She'd come down with the fever real sudden. The the immature man that I am, I live in Glasgow, and um, a a bit of slang up here in in Scotland is is a jobby, uh, (laughs) which means means a turd. Uh, And so any time that Bert or Vicky was like jobby, jobby, (laughs) jobby, I know, but I I couldn't help myself. But no, you're absolutely right. When I talk about like the opening grabber, I I you you I was looking past the voiceover was annoying and undercut and everything. One of the things that this strong opening and and some of the imagery, one of the disappointing things is that I'm I'm okay to be fooled and think that there's going to be the motivations and the reasons are because of X, Y, or Z and it not be the case. But I thought, oh, this this is great. Like, okay, so we've got this failing town. People are turning to religion and, and, you know, salvation lies within. So people are going. Then we have this incredible sequence where the children turn on the adults. And in my mind, having not seen it in donks, I immediately jumped to, this is ace. This is like, well, we are going to punish you as a younger generation for your sins. And, and the only way we're going to do this is by taking your religion and going way more extreme and fundamentalist. They don't really do that, which is a shame. But the opening as a as a kind of, as a grabber, as I said, I was like, I was in. Yeah, it's, just a, it's a terrifying concept to wipe out a town of adults and their children. And th- at this point, it's pure human, like nature driven. There's nothing supernatural like Village of the Damned kind of uh, uh, eeriness. It is just pure murder. And his little face popping up at the dusty yeah. window is really, is really good. And that, the first it's a nice crash zoom. Crash zoom? I think it's, yeah. a, I think it's a track in actually, but it's, effective it's um you we know he's the leader he's dressed like a leader we understand kind of there's something culty going on here they had a meeting in the field you understand malachi's is second as well you see that um that's a great shot of malachi at the at the pinball machine it's difficult to exude menace while playing pinball in bright (laughs) sunlight but he manages to do so yeah yeah i I do think it's the first example of the film being scarier in concept than in execution though even at this at this point you know and it is one of the strongest probably one of the three scariest it's not that scary a film but i I would probably include it as my but is that matt is that because we've got jobby 
who's dressed like problem child. <laughs> is that yeah. the reason? Because he's obviously he's talking about Alfalfa. Yeah, he's almost like um, a fifties character kit. He reminds me of Mo Sislak when it cuts back to him <laughs> being um, being, a, being a TV. And he's like, that's he was, my line, and he kills someone. He, he even says, like, usual, yeah. please. <laughs> yeah. He was, uh, but that's 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 Hal Roach. He created the Little Rascals. He <laughs> yeah, produced yeah. this film as well, so he, he mm. clearly can't can't get over it. But, we um, jobby, just absolutely <laughs> undercutting the film. He doesn't even cry when his dad died. Like, is and I don't give it credit enough that he is trying to stay like neutral so he's going to be allowed into malachi and, and isaac's world but it's just yeah. it, it's a weird um imbalance i, I can understand why galley why as a kid you found it creepy but i i found it quite guileless and i thought it was almost like a hammer horror at times and this was one of the yeah and and the um there's a, a thing i wanted to talk about later with, between the director and gene siskel where siskel was saying that everything was really played out in an explicit way but I, and, and the director says that he tried to shoot it like Psycho or something. And, yeah, you, and can not tell, show... you can tell he's like doing, he's showing you the cuts. And then just at the moment of impact, he cuts away. But, so... I, but I don't think, I don't know how much of that is, is an artistic vision and how much of it is just very hard to cut someone's throat with a scythe and make it look good and, and do it in how many weeks, four weeks. Plus, also, we'll um, come back to unsporting artists when all of them that are dead, you can still see them breathing and writing. Uh, yeah, the I, coffee. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a coffee. Yeah, the poor woman yeah. could not stop breathing, could she? God, bless. Uh, <laughs> God look, and it's hard. I, I've got to say, it's hard. It's a hard yeah. task. Like, but the guy on the floor, he's he's like, he's moving a lot, and. Like, come on, man! Ten, give us ten seconds of stillness. You could consider it the death throes, the death rattle, but that would be too kind. I think we can be generous. Anyway. We can be, generous. yeah. Um, one thing <laughs> that that I did think about the the voiceover before we get off that is just um, in terms of like traumatized kids talking over the top of uh, fields of various grain. You've got like Linda Manns in Days of Heaven, which would be a really great um, template to go from. Because Linda Manz's uh, voiceover is like is really halting. You can tell that she's. It, it's almost. It sounds almost like the, a recording of like a police interview or something. She's trying to recall things that happened. She's uh, reacting emotionally to some things. In others, she's really flat and uh, flat and effectless. But I thought it's clearly it, it's a it's a scene setter that they've gone with this perky kid instead of going with having a voiceover artist be traumatized and miserable that's that's a good point and the other thing i wanted to mention about the the very beginning that i liked because i've been a bit negative already uh it does this thing where early on where it tells you every piece of exposition twice in very quick succession it says three years ago on the screen and then the kid says three years ago on the voiceover um and then it very quickly introduces you um to uh sorry I forget his name Joby Joby and he has a sister called Sarah who within a minute or two we know about Isaac the other kids the corn the drought as they've Patrick had a says on, on they've had a meeting and it's quite efficient and they do perhaps hit you on the head with it a little bit but I'm a bit of a dummy so I like to know where I am particularly at the beginning and uh and then again we know we're in the present day when it when it jumps when it jumps forward again they do resort to a an on-screen caption there but other than that I've, i found it quite quite effective and uh, in, instantly establishes where we are yeah, i did find I, though matt that i don't know what you all think but 
then I came into the first real flaw I had with it, which what three years later, yeah, and there's an inevitability of no one aging in that many ways. But what what have they been doing for three years? I'm going to go jump straight to the biggest issue with this film. We're focused on the wrong people. Like so, mm. Bert and Vicky. Okay, but, they, but can no, be, no. they can be. Uh, they can be. Oh, <laughs> they can. Uh, they can be the outsiders coming in. They can be the existential threat to this town. But the the interest and the intrigue and the mis- the mystique of the movie is these children, right? And I don't know whether that is a... Now, I don't, I'm not suggesting that we uncover everything, a la like what we've discussed about the Alien series, where we find out everything and therefore we lose that power. Demystify. But, but mm. we don't have... One of the things that I have in a big issue with it is that we see a couple of times Isaac and Malachi, they, we see the tension between them and we see the other kids just kind of watching them. Could we have made them scarier and a bit more feral, do you think? Uh, well, I mm-hmm. just think what is holding this group of kids together outside mm-hmm. of we see one of them, Jobby's mate, trying to do a runner and he gets killed. Okay, <laughs> there's a threat there of violence. But mm. we've got this whole kind of ecosystem. We've got the old guy yeah. who you know needs to be replaced by Charlton Heston, I, I would suggest. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we've got all of this. And it just doesn't... We don't give it enough information. I think they're uh, they're fermenting corn to create their own fuel as well that's yeah yeah it's not enough devlin it's not enough (laughs) initially devlin initially to be positive i liked the fact that we were using sarah's visions uh her crayon drawings as a way of Mm -hmm. imparting that information i don't need to see like a whole town slayed i've seen it in a cafe we then mention and then we see some images of things that will echo or be referred to later on i think that's all good stuff Outside the hotel, she gets all the colours of the doors right, and she's predicted their arrival at the hotel. That was a little bit of foreshadowing, and, and I like the concept too, Gally. I really like the. But then we are, you know, we're introduced to our our, our protagonists, our, our couple. Yeah, I mean, it's a real drag. I'm not gonna lie. Um, so yeah, I, the, for me, that's the fatal flaw of the movie. Is I'm not saying we stay with the kids the whole time, but we need more understanding of how. The town works and i'll get we'll get to it but i would prefer it to have been the thing that i thought it was going to be which was christian fundamentalism gone awry through children's interpretation of scripture and not a fucking graboid with that in mind then the scene that kind of grabbed me as well as the congregation with rachel and amos later on and mm. it, 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 i kind of agree I, I think i agree with what you're saying and that almost comes too late you know like developing what they are about and what their beliefs are and how far they're taking things you've got rachel stabs him i don't know how he's not hurt more because it's a well yes mate you can't, massive you can't run knife. without falling over yeah. you running into things it, yeah but it's really interesting why, why like <laughs> accident prone yeah it, it, their their relation you know like rachel and amos are named characters why haven't we introduced them earlier and understood where they're going mm. to and their excitement and disillusionment and you know like their stout belief in in yeah. in um faith and hope here because they've been led astray by by isaac and isaac like i, I love the idea of him as a preacher and what was he born of a preacher as well and well, he's a prophet isn't he he he's he a, a, he's actually yeah. a prophet. prophet who says he speaks on behalf of and you've got the adults like dismissing the preacher on the radio and the car and it's just not made enough of with that 
uh, that uh, antagonism. They say that he was a child preacher, like he was, you know, which which is a which is a thing in in the states. Twenty six years um, old, playing a nine year old. Yeah, um, there's. I think there's a um, there's a problem in in terms of the focus in general, which is that they've tried to balance the movie out as much as possible, and in doing so, you've lost either one or the other perspective, which is that um, having Job being or Joby being a v of a voice over POV uh, eyewitness who's relating this tale to us and then jumping out to Bert and Vicky as the outlanders. It's like, which side do we want to be on? Do we want to, do we want to be in with the kids and watching them take apart these adults and see the adults as a threat? Or do we want to be in the car with the adults and then just kind of pull up upon this insane situation of of these creepy religious corn worshipping kids it kind of without both of them without either one of them being the main focus you end up there you, you kind of it's a bit of a wash really in terms of falling like, between two stools aren't you because way where you're coming from it i think it might be a more interesting film if we focused on the kids like like ali said the, the mm. one thing that i think i can forgive is that i love the image of the ghost town and like i love the idea of them coming into this mystery yeah, and solving yeah. it and i think that's how i would probably do it but maybe one of the reasons the film doesn't work is in in a lot of ways is because we're focusing on the wrong people perhaps these kids and and, and the, their story is more interesting or you have to tie it together i was getting i was thinking mm. about the the original not 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 the nicholas cage one i was thinking about the original wicker man and yeah. I understand that we, it's difficult then because we've got adults and children and how do we marry them to have uh, conversation? You definitely, you definitely. We don't marry them. Come on, let's, let's back away, back away. <laughs> we don't marry them. But how do we, how do we, uh, how do we get them to uh, have interactions that will, you know, information will be um, imparted mm-hmm. and we can understand mm. both sides. I, and I agree. Like I was thinking about like aliens. So the original, you know, aliens newt we we see once they get to the the mystery of what's happened mm-hmm. on the planet then she imparts some information but they're still discovering the whole time whereas this as you say you can't have it both ways you can't have an insider who's giving you some insight into this this world and the outsiders who you know let's be fair if you're going to have outsiders can we can we make can we do something with them when you've got a doctor and you've got a film about religion mm. the thing that i was getting very frustrated about is that we don't really have a theological conversation at any point i think yeah. he says one thing which is you can't have religion without love and compassion children it's like what mm. what are you talking about you're supposed to be a doctor you're supposed to be mm. all about um you know what you can see the rational rationalized right? yeah. yeah instead you're a fucking dumbass but i mean <laughs> i love him for it to be fair God bless Bert. That's where Joby and Sarah have the most, probably have the most screen time of any kids on there. And that yeah. goes against the, you're never really sure why they aren't so with them as well. Because Joby didn't, Joby didn't uh, react at all to his dad dying. Sarah took ill, but she's predicting it and she's been given a gift. It's, it's a very unconvincing um, separation between those and the cult. Yeah, that's so the idea that for three years they've been allowed to just sort of yeah play play Monopoly and listen to oh that which is the worst crime of the whole films. film how they play Monopoly. God damn them! 
Yeah. Um, but the, the, the assumption is that Isaac, uh, this is what I got, that Isaac sees the value in Sarah's gift, therefore kind of treats them differently. But for three mm-hmm. years, I mean, eventually the other kids, it's Lord of the Flies, they'd be pissed off. You know? Oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a rock getting fallen on Piggy. If mm. you, if it's a, it's a fucking <laughs> blood cult. They, gen- they genuinely don't sort of let people slide with stuff. You know, it's... Um, it, well, there's also huge gulfs in the film without any kind of further murderings, really, as well. Which I yeah, the slasher element is is dropped for a bit for a, for a week. You, you've drive. got Malachi who who prevents the lad from from getting away, and there's some terrible blood on a suitcase. It hasn't coagulated um, yet, though. It's still fresh. Yeah. yeah. Oh no! Can we can we talk about that sequence? So um, I feel like we've jumped the serenade, but um, we've got Sarah Connor. Oh, don't um, jump! Yeah, you know, uh, please. Um, <laughs> Yeah, look after these for me, big buns. Uh, she's doing a she's doing a she's doing a song, which honestly, this this whole dynamic you could look this, at. this dynamic between these two, un- unbelievable, right? So she's yeah. she's she's kind of like hankering to lock him down for marriage, but also uh, it's the only he, thing she talks about. Yeah, he he will not tend to her needs sexually, which is weird. Um, so I don't understand what is well, going on. the maid's on. coming. He doesn't have time. Well, you make time, don't you? And that's what she said. <laughs> um, what is going on with these two? Like, he, So he's got a new job. He looks like he's 45, but he's he's a junior doctor. He's got a yeah. practice that he's going to work at. <laughs> she wants to lock him down. He doesn't seem to like her very much, but she likes him. She loves to sing songs. I don't death. think he's a big fan. Yeah, he really yeah. is annoyed by yeah, but, her. Okay, he? is that his character? Is that his acting? I, I don't know. Good God question. I don't know. It's, well, the the short story uh, has a far more contentious couple at the center. They are married. Bickering from the from book. the first line. And they in fucking hate each other. <laughs> so. You have to you have to tone that down because otherwise that is just spiteful to watch well, true, the duration it? of yeah. an entire film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, especially if if you're going to be in the car with them and riding into this situation. But so there there does have to be a conflict between them. They've gone very simplistic, which is that he wants to move on and get his career started, but she wants to start a family. But it kind of fits. But you know, we've talked about the family unit and the use of that in storytelling, and what these films are really supposed to be about. We've mentioned, I think, Devil in Jurassic Park and Aliens and T Two, and this one again plays into those um, themes because he, they effectively adopt the two children at the end. He proves that he has a paternal um, instinct that had perhaps been <laughs> he didn't show hi- in the film. Hiding. Get out of there! <laughs> Get out! See, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the bit at the beginning, um, I, I didn't like him, and then later I thought his his cold uh, approach, uh, like logical doctoral a- approach, and saying, "Go in the car, lock the door," and then he does something else. Like he, he immediately shuts down that situation. He he identifies that that kid's injuries are not from mm. getting plowed into by a car. He can see that it that, that kid's been had his his throat cut yeah and uh, he immediately he's not a not a dummy in that sense yeah uh, uh, well matt can i can can we can we focus in on this scene because mm. um i love bert but i love bert because he was <laughs> truly very funny as a character to me so you're right he's logical rational he, he does the good doctor thing of like let's protect mm. people that won't be able to deal with the fact that there's a child here with a slit throat and also i definitely smashed him 
uh, with the bonnet. Um, that was the bit where I was like, <laughs> can can we maybe squeeze more drama out of this? Which is, at no point is he ever fearful for the career that he clearly wants. Like, why wouldn't he be like... Because I think he says yeah. the kid was already dead when we hit him, but the kid was definitely walking towards the vehicle. <laughs> I know, it, I know, he's probably going to succumb to the the slit throat, but the fact is, you definitely yeah. smash that kid. <laughs> was, the, was the kid moving when the car hit him? It was pretty yeah, he was stationary, wasn't he? I thought he they was just sta- stuck him. In, Malachi stuck him in the middle of the road. He was standing. He was standing oh, no, up. He was there, standing yeah. of his own volition. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why? But why then? Isn't it like a great? existential panic of yeah what am i going to do with this body my whole future my job yeah is there any witnesses is that like yeah 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 yeah. and as i was watching it matt i was thinking well because i don't like the happy ending everyone's a good family and i know that that's not how the short story ends i wanted at least one of them to die because there was we're talking sacrifice and i wanted to see some Mm. sacrifice and because we got the and because we got yeah a little bit, and because we got this theme of the children rising up against the adults, we assume the adults have have sinned, which is you know the corn is not growing, therefore something's happened in this town. What a great way of doing like a microcosm of that is that Bert's sin of he didn't know, but it's an accident. But the way that he tries to cover it up, it's pretty shady. And I think you mentioned it offline. That kid's still in the fucking boot. The whole time. Yeah, yeah. So the whole like, film, yeah. There has to in be some consequence weather. for that. Yeah. Instead, it's uh, let's just wrap them up. And and that's just my gold bag. That's what if what if we made Bert hate kids more? What what if yeah. Bert had, had more of a contempt for kids? And then he ends up mm. saving Sarah Connor from the G, you know, <laughs> Come being with me uh, if you want corn to. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then he ends up dying. And he's yeah, the he sacrificed himself for his, you know, he realizes that he was a fucking douche. We don't do that. Instead, and, and for me, like that was the bit where I loved it, by the way. The, I thought the way it was shot, and I know it was a mannequin, but it it was a good smash. And I That's really the, enjoyed it. One of the best it. jump scares. Uh, what about one, the zombie kid? Uh, when zombie kid comes back to life. Uh, <laughs> well, that was probably zombie kid coming back to life. What, 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 why does she get that vision? And then that's... I thought they were going to relate that to Sarah and her, and they'd have a connection that way. But it just mm. it's just a weird... Dream, it's a cheap dream, wasn't it? Do you remember the Rob Zombie Halloween Two dream that goes on and on for yeah. twenty minutes? Yeah. This is the yeah. same thing, but it only lasts two. So I wondered how you felt about the fake out. Did you did you mind it? Well, I I thought it was gonna have, I thought it was gonna go somewhere later on and develop who, who she was. But I mean, God love Linda Hamilton. She she tries here, but I th- I think she's very betrayed by the writing. Um, mm-hmm. As I'll. And a things. fucking wooden board of a co-star. Yeah. And a big shot. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, she's, she's pleasant and she's charming cause it's very Linda pretty. Hamilton. Uh, but was, and it just, I don't know. It's a weird, she goes on a weird journey, uh, in this, but I think, I think you're right. Like I, I like your version of the script. When, when are we, when are we rewriting it that way? <laughs> I don't, well, after, after 11, 11 goes at it, I don't know if there's, is there anyone else who will fund a children? I don't think there's any more. There's any more juice left to squeeze out of this out of this kernel. What if I write yeah. my little thing about how corn doesn't digest, so it will always remain? <laughs> there you go. You're, there will be more corn. Get the corn growing within him that's sprouting out, and he starts becoming a sca- corn scarecrow. I'm in. Um, one thing that that I liked in 
the in the the dream sequence which is uh the intercutting like you were saying it is interesting that they didn't push a little further with this idea of you know essentially the shining that's what it is that's what sarah's mm-hmm. got sort of it's uh it's clearly an idea that, that has been rattling around in stephen king's head for a long time although it's pretty common this idea of the gift of foresight but um the way that they um uh when somebody pulls weapons the way that the weapons are depicted on screen it's lots of like close-up inserts of like you know mm. these knives and sickles and stuff and i think that's uh that's great the the impending menace of malachi walking out the corn towards the car when she's asleep is i thought that was really good yeah it's good it's good and it's good it's in keeping with the era and the fact that we've said that the kind of the height of the slasher craze and and so why not lean into it It, it's strange to me then that from the opening that is quite alarming disturbing and we get like just to the point of slitting and then we cut away that then the rest Mm. of the film feels incredibly neutered um, I'm thinking about, you know, old old man Bill. You know, don't want to go down that road. Uh, I don't know. Nothing down that road. Um, you don't know, make the, him Yorkshire. <laughs> he's not like he's doing South Park. Yeah. You don't want to go down that road. I was thinking of the fast show, you know, where he goes, uh, uh, I'm a rambling hiker. And he gets lost. <laughs> and... But, you know, we see the dog and we see the bandana. That was enough. I don't want to see a dog, uh, you know, a dog being murdered on screen. But, like, for him... It's Jaws that wa- kill kids and a dog already. Yeah, they're, they're, this is true. Yeah, but we, but he walks into his garage and then nothing. And then a hand. It all feels a bit you No, know, like... they shot that in a day. They wrapped him out in a day on, on that. And, uh... <laughs> Makes sense. But he's, he's not great, is he? Poor fella. This film feels like lots of other horror films certain scenes where i'm like okay there's a bit of evil dead when the corn's attacking but i'm like yeah. i got that the pg-13 uh rape corn yeah yeah scene. that's a bit evil dead okay tremors comes yeah. later but tremors wins because tremors is better with the graboid but i was thinking more like okay so we have this supernatural being they clearly don't have the budget we can see that through some of the anime like the animated paint that's the opticals they don't have they don't have the the budget so instead of showing the monster let's follow the spielberg methodology of let's keep it she's at night yeah she's in at night so i get that but then make the kills like if you're not going to have that many make them Mm. memorable shortly after he's killed um bert and ernie turn the corner and they're back at the gas station and I'm like, oh, God, we're back here again. What, why haven't they seen that he's dead as some sort of warning? You know, he could have gone down that route. That everything's warning them about Gatlin, but they keep seeing the road signs of Gatlin. Everything leads to Gatlin. What, why aren't they putting a perpetual hellish loop to get there? Because we go down the supernatural element. There's a bit when Bert goes in the corner and it opens for him seemingly giving a path. Mm. Why, why isn't there mm. more of this, like, descent into hell inevitability? But yeah, it, it could be like the Bermuda Triangle. Like once you're in there, sure. you can't you can't escape. Well, that was explored more in, uh, you know, that film uh, in the, the Tall Grass. In the Tall Grass, which was another Stephen King novella, which becomes more like that and more supernatural. And they they do just go round and round in circles and meet strangers within Patrick Wilson within the corn, and you know, it's all uh, it's a lot like that. But I think I think you're right that that it's dis- it's disorienting, but um, perhaps not sort of cohesive enough like they they they, sh- they should absolutely see that he's dead in the in the moment i like the 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 rising panic of going down increasingly narrow little 
it's like <laughs> it's a road, then it's a track, and it's a track that's barely wide enough. <laughs> it to was funny seeing him speed through that, that corner. <laughs> and, she goes, and "This like, isn't even a road." <laughs> <laughs> and he snaps like Peter Horton snaps at her at one point, and then apologizes really kind of unconvincingly. <laughs> and again, like that kind of stuff is, you know, that's that's still fertile ground like you know mm-hmm. a, a, a couple who are somewhat at odds being put into an increasingly stressful situation and and they have to you know they they fail they or rather he fails more often than she does to to keep his shit together mm. and again it reminded me of, of of elements in the original texas chainsaw massacre where we've got characters that seemingly despise each other uh mm-hmm. i'm thinking about you franklin uh, and then you know, uh, and and trying, but trying to through you know for 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 these two, it's their their companions, their partners, but they you know they have to stick together, and and that's why I would have thought like it would be better if Vicky sees, but you know, Bert literally ki- hits the kid, even if it we know that the kid was already dead, that then she's got not got that on him, but that that conflict can be explored. Like, so she's got a stake in his indiscretion instead. Right. You know, I don't get wrong, Matt, it, it, it's character for him that he takes charge of that situation and remo- removes her from it. I think that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make him heroic after his, his initial uh, sort of refuse, refusal of the call, if you will. But um, he, and then he comes back and, and shows he can be a, a paternal figure. I think that's what they're going for. How effective it is. I don't know. When we get to the town, so this is when we're like, okay, so we've 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 bought some time where not a great deal happens, but certain things are happening. There's escalation or warnings. When we get to the town, it's beggar's belief to me. I don't. What I couldn't get my head around is like, you're in this town, you go to the cafe that you immediately see right. There's something wrong here. Then we go into a house because you see you see a door open. But, oh yeah, I'd love to go through a door that I've just seen uh, slightly ajar. Uh, then we see two kids play Monopoly, but there's no parents around. And we're just going to go, tell you what, it's safe. You stay here. I'm going to go for a little little wonder. Oh, he yeah. literally says, it's a little weird, but it's safe. Look, Sarah, it's very important that we speak to some grown-ups as soon as possible. We're wasting our time here, Vicky. Well, give her a chance. Yeah, I'm going to go look at the town hall. Why? Because we have a murder to report, and we're standing here talking in circles, wasting our time. Well, maybe she can help. Well, fine, then you stay here with her. Listen, things just aren't happening fast enough. So I'm going to leave you the car. I won't be gone very long. If anybody comes, just come honk, okay? Are we safe? Yeah, it's a little weird here, but it's safe. Be back. From a screenwriter's perspective, if you're the director yeah. of the film and you haven't written the script, surely you go, "Come on, can we can we think of a, a better reason why these two have to split up?" There's a weird there's a weird thing with the geography of it all, though, as well. Like they wrote the script and went to the location and then rewrote it. It it feels like they go, "Well, oh, actually, he needs to go here to go here," and it, it's very unconvincing uh, from a prep point of view. Yeah, they had to cook a lot of stuff up on the fly. They shot this in, in a, a series of small towns in Iowa. 
And you write yourself into a corner. You you fucked, aren't you? Because the 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 town square, the house, the cornfields, they were all in the quite a quite a large area, as far as I'm aware. And also, they um when they scouted, they saw all this beautiful like stalks of corn. And then by the time they shot in September, it was all dying and or dead. Because it's... they had to try and spray paint it green. You can see it in some. Yeah. Of the... Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. So they were having to chase valid corn around and not often finding it. So. Um, uh, and also, I don't think that they budgeted in, as far as I'm aware, for how much of the money went to getting Stephen King's name above the title. So I think mm. that they, when it came to, they possibly didn't even know what he who walks behind the rose was going to be. Um, I mean, that's well, that's evident. I know what it was. It was uh, ink poured into some kind of, uh, it, it was for a, for a motorcycle commercial or something one of his mates was doing. And okay. he'd done this shot where he poured ink in to something as this cool kind of optical and oh, photographed okay. it. So they turned the ink upside down, he put it in the sky and goes, Oh, that'll do. It's a lava then, lamp. <laughs> yeah, it's basically a that's glorified a, lava lamp. That's a Douglas Trumbull. Yeah. It, it is. Thing, right? He did that yeah. in um I know that that's that's how Brains, he did all the brain. What's they did the that in the tree one? of in the tree of life. That's the, the the universe creation of the universe is all like colored inks and stuff being photographed. But I think he he developed that back in the sixties, right? And then the, the 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 it's a wheelbarrow under the ground for the tremors mm. stuff. They put a, a hey, it looks alright. Like yeah. we said earlier, you shoot at night, you get away with a lot of sins, and it's quite yeah. effective seeing the ground move in a in a weird ethereal way. But it's just what? What about the the thing that consumes Isaac on the crucifix? The That's red. just an early yeah. optical. <laughs> yeah, it's just a poor early optical. Yeah. But you just you know you stick on Isaac's face and you show the emotion and the effect of something happening. And you know they did well of hiding what was going on for the whole film. But then to come. Right. It's quite it, funny that you blew up and just oh it I I took I, off like oh a what was it like Gally? What did you I, compare it to? I compared it to when um, in Lord of the Rings, right at the beginning, the uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, they is it um, Pippin and uh, thingy set Mary. off the dra- Mary set off the dragon firework. It looks like wee. It literally just goes, <laughs> just goes straight up, doesn't it? Yeah. It's uh, it was very very funny to me. But it, there are different ways you could do that, right? Smoke machine, um, some light just below the camera to you know. Inst- it's still a close up of his face, like yeah. going through hell. I just I just yeah. I couldn't work out why we would envelop him in optical lava. It was uh, it was stupid. And then the, well, well, the reveal well, of him uh, covered in talcum powder as well. It wasn't yeah, <laughs> great either. But the, I do like the voice change. The voice change was top top yeah. three creepy moments. It's not a bit that like, scary, um, but, a bit like The Exorcist. Marin! Right. They've got that, yeah. that deep voice there that recalled that for me. Malachi! And it was a fact, like, I, I think, um, sorry to take us off the story a little bit, but if we talk about um, John Franklin, who plays Isaac, I actually thought he was pretty good in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's, he's suitably menacing and suitably he's, creepy. He's very conv- which is like why... conviction is it's a very um, it's a committed performance. Assured performance. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He'd studied preachers. He'd actually watched some. I think. He, I think. He I think he's very uh, effective in mimicking. how he he orders a room around and and you know holds his presence. I mean, obviously, mm. he's an adult playing a child, and that's going to work amongst children. It's good casting, um, yeah, though, isn't yeah. it, Patrick? I mean, I think it's great. You, you'd be asking a lot of a child to deliver that, 
with it. I yeah. mean, look at Jobby. You know, this is that you you run the <laughs> risk of maybe getting something like that. So, I, it's totally makes sense to me casting wise. In a way, I wish that they hadn't undercut that character by after like three good strong scenes, just be like, mm, we're gonna we're gonna make you a demon, blow you, blow, blow you up. He must be taken without her. We cannot remove her from this place. It is holy. We will bring the Lord to by using one. Not blaspheme, Malachi. You know not the laws. He speaks them only to me. I think not, Isaac. You are the one who's lost favor with them. He's the God of blood and sacrifice, not ceremony. Ah, sacrilege. Down on your knees, heretic. Shut your mouth, Isaac. You've grown prideful apart from us. If you have a monster, a real monster, because I was hoping it was going to be a fire-breathing dragon because that's what's depicted in one of Sarah's drawings mm. oh yeah then i thought maybe they're saving all their money and they've spent it all on a nice big dragon at the yeah, end but surely that's nothing. what they wanted to do but the limitations of the day meant you know we've got the big red cloud that could have been the dragon breathing fire and then oh oh and then the dragon sets fire to the cornfield accidentally oh interesting but um well see maybe my pitch when i go in back in 1983 stephen king rejects it because i just say can we just ditch the supernatural and stick with what is, I think, an even more interesting theme of these mm, kids rising yeah. up and taking out yeah. a generation. Well, like a commentary through, against religion through, in America, yeah, organized yeah, religion. Through, yeah. through the dangers of, of how fundamentalism can be taken. I think, I think some yeah. of that is in the film, though. Like, you've got characters called Job and mm. Amos and religious names, and it, it's definitely the preacher, the way he's dressed, the church, the small town mm. America. It's all there. But would it be more effective if those characters were called, you know, Billy, Tom and Jane and they, through their fundamentalism, changed their names? As I say, it's all about yeah, like, being worked yeah. out, right? Is that not what's uh, what's happened when, he, when they go to the blood register? They have uh -huh. two names. They have a name in brackets. Yeah. I think it's possible that they... I think that's that a good example did. that it, it does happen, but we mm. didn't... I mean, you realized it. I didn't realize it. I didn't I realize that. I, yeah, sorry, no, but sorry. I, it's there, but it's the execution again. It's part of like King's yeah, tropes. Is he, he's always look at Carrie. He's always got characters that that are devout, that are the danger, or they're they're seen yeah. as the most dangerous. You've right. got these impressionable minds, their children, and mm -hmm. they take it to the next level. That to me, that's better than supernatural monster that lives in the corn. For me, I think that they should have identified that galley at the beginning. They should have said, "Look, we've got four weeks to shoot it. We've given King all this money. We've got eight hundred thousand. There's no dragons in it. Let's just stri strip it back." <laughs> well, well, you're you're right as well, Galley. That it should have gone a bit Lord of the Flies. If we're saying this three years and this is cult happening in a in a forgotten town in America, and they've all been led astray, and then the adults come in and they can persuade some children and have a warring factors of you know break up the cults and have this side and this side and but but they've, they've must been years. misused they've been yeah exactly but when they come in and some young kids are like this this sarah connor's really nice like they told me all the adults uh, were, yeah. were horrible like hold on she's right. she's playing monopoly with me and not cheating and she's looking at my drawings and look at all the things that you can play against right they could be big they could be big city people who are moving to the small town so you've got big city versus small town You've got 80s yuppie. I mean, I'm not saying make them yuppies, but you, people were doing well in the 80s, but not everyone was. So you can do that, right? You can say, well, farmers are being left behind and the big city folk are making mm. all the all the dosh. So you can do, do yeah. lots of that stuff. 
But you can also yeah. have the, the Logan's Run thing that when the 19-year-old like Amos says, I don't actually want to die. You know, that someone turn against them. Someone rebels, there's, yeah. There's loads of... Is that a missed opportunity that and I that, wish... And that's why, that's why I said right at the beginning of this episode is that my criticisms of it are not... They're not just like poking fun at Sarah Connor's shoulder, you know, nice sexy shoulder <laughs> and big shorts. Um, but but it's all... And the fact that Bert looks like Michael Bay mixed with uh, uh, Paul Weller. Um <laughs> And Kevin Peter Bacon. Weller. <laughs> Peter Weller. Or Paul Peter Weller. Weller not Paul. Yeah, yeah, it could be either Weller. He's um, not quite but, a weird pig, but he's but, close. But actually, these are the films. Michael that kinda, Bay. They kind of, they highlight though, don't they? They highlight how, you know, we discussed this in Jaws. He faced these similar issues, which is the monster or the shark doesn't work. So we've got to think around it and mm. think, how do we, how do we tell the story without the thing that I thought I had? But don't uh, forget he's a first time director. Agreed, but this is where it highlights it, doesn't it? Because instead, what we have is we buy, we're basically sort of treading water for time. So when Bert goes off and leaves Sarah Connor, it's like, yeah, but that's not mo- that's not motivated. Then when he comes back, it's motivated through voiceover that he uh, a flashback that he remembers whilst he's looking at a picture of a dragon. That's when mm. he realizes mm, maybe it isn't safe. Then he runs back mm. and all hell breaks loose. It's like, well. You've got to be smarter than that, right? You've, uh, filmmaking is problem solving, right? Not everything. Yeah. You know this, Patrick. Not everything on day one and day two or any day that you turn up on set is exactly as you planned it. And for me, they just it feels no, like they rare. were boxed in. They were boxed in and they didn't think outside of that box. So what, I, what I will say, though, uh, to counter that a little bit, just on a filmmaking point of view, is like, hats off to shooting a film in four weeks with kids. Very difficult elements to to work with on location. Um, it, it, it's nice. I quite enjoyed seeing a location and full use of it. I don't I don't know whether they got everything out of it that, they, that they could have, but um, driving through the cornfields is something quite great about that. Even Nolan did, did that later on in, in his career, and and it's it's a vast kind of midwestern American expanse that is a vast world and an unknown world to a lot of people even east coast and west coast people there and we're working with kids you know you've only got limited time with them i I hope it was the same in the 80s as it is now i've got children on my current job and planning your day around the hours that they do the tutoring the the meal breaks the breaks and working hours that are legal and fair and and duty of care to, to children four weeks you know you've got joe you've got jobby and sarah who have predominant roles you've got the um, <laughs> you got all the, the locals as well. The you, you get, the, yeah, yeah. The, yeah and I don't know how old like um, yeah. Courtney Gaines. I, I imagine he's of age here because he was got a uh, role, eight. But, he was eighteen. Yeah, surely. But I, I, my hats off to, to those kind of elements of this filmmaking that go. You know, just to counter the yeah, they they they, they wrote themselves into a corner and they didn't know how to get out of it, and they kind of rushed the ending and and threw things at the wall and sort of stick, stuck. One thing that I would say for them is, I guess, um, that a lot of the the, the quite intense readings that that we're kind of coming up with, especially in terms of like, why not lean into the kids being more vicious or the religious element being more maniacal or the, the, you know, the intensity, you know, like taking it to the same places. You can. I think that's you how you sell there. it too, like image-wise. Look, yeah. think about posters and things. If you make the kids more feral and, and yeah. as you say, you can but use on, that. On the flip side, I think that the film ended up being um, such a a, a long-running cultural impact 
its success largely because I think they eschewed some of the more aggressive stuff that we're talking about. Because I feel like this film probably gained in in uh, its kind of general awareness by people just watching it on TV. I think it just pops up like late night on TV. There's something oddly comforting about a lot of the film. Um, I think that uh, softening the, the the kids and making them more kind of just an interesting little ragtag group of people who just run around. You can tell that like some of those local kids are having the fucking time of their lives chasing, um, chasing Peter Horton around, around their abandoned town and just getting to, you know, yell about blood and death. And stuff. There was like, a story about the town really being behind the shoot as well. Yeah. And uh, just having barbecues and having all the cast and crew going and everyone gathered around for those final explosions that they set off. They waited yeah. all all day for them to set them up, and uh, the, they really got behind it. Totally, and I think that by by sanding off a lot of those edges and allowing the film, and also like we're saying, pulling the focus apart and just like making it more of an almost episodic thing of having, you know, here's our little episode with the couple in the car. Then we're going to cut back to what's going on with Isaac and Malachi, and they get to have this big kind of operatic scene together where they speak ye not and all this kind of stuff, and it's like. It's it's boilerplate and it's kind of silly, but what I think it also does is it makes it the sort of thing that you would feel comfortable watching multiple times. And I think if they made this like children shouldn't play with dead things or, or, or who could kill a child or, or something, you know, like one of these really harsh, like if you watch some of those like really nasty European like horror thrillers from the late 70s, they're extraordinary in their own way, but you're not going to rewatch them. There's no rewatch value there. But would you say there's something quite innocent in its immaturity and non-offensiveness? I do. I think, and it was. I think it was by design. I think they knew what they wanted to get into. This is a New World Pictures film intended to be made for a small budget and to turn out a big profit. They thought that they needed to be able to get away with having, you know, these ideas of like, you know, demon kids turning on their parents and, you know, uh, uh, supernatural potential supernatural mysteries and. They wanted to have the imagery of children brandishing weapons at adults, but I also don't think they wanted to go through with having them be deployed because yeah. I think you start to run into real trouble, especially 84. You've got in the UK market, the video nasties are really tightening up on what you can, yeah. what you can get away so, with. So this is, could be like counter-programming. Maybe, yeah. It's like it's uh, it's not safe horror, but you know, it's, it's also certainly... devs. You know, look at uh, and Corman was a master of this. All of the power is in the poster, right? So really, yeah. whatever you deliver as the film doesn't matter if you get the bum on the seat, and you would have the bums on the seat, right? If the premise is the kids are turning against us, you don't need to know about this. Mm. Obviously, we're 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 coming at it with lots of hindsight and lots of you know we weren't there but if you're just if your objective is to make profit and move on then mission accomplished isn't it satisfactory three act structure with uh um the the most kind of by the book happy ending our makeshift family has come together and all has been righted with oh don't world. forget about the girl who gets conked out as well by a door smack her in the head with a door <laughs> right she's out the cold end. yeah how how abruptly does it end oh, it's mad. when that the end appeared on the screen i i double it's color a night territory yeah. isn't it without the yeah. daffodils we've got corn instead yeah <laughs> Was was there any was there any other films in the eighties around the time Devlin Matt that were children led kind of 
uh, the omen. stories. The omen well, was Dev, Dev mentioned the 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 uh, yeah. who can kill a child, which I, I sort of thought about a little bit. Um, which is kind of an island, isn't it? A pregnant mm. um, wo- woman and her mm. partner go to uh, end up on an island where the kids are malevolent and try to yeah. pick them off. It's like a creepy um, Spanish film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably about 10, 10 years before this, maybe a little less. You don't get hooked yeah. till early nineties with the Lost Boys. That's a you know, it's a, that kind of idea of children reneging against adults. Uh, there was there was the old Village of the Damned from the, the Village of the Damned, yeah. Which yeah, are, Lord of the Flies is a good reference, yeah. Yeah, um, then that's eight. Is that well? Obviously, it was uh, originally uh, way back when, like the fifties or sixties, wasn't it? The original. Yeah. But then they did a a, t- was, I used to do a TV movie in the. I want to say it was either late eighties or early nineties. Lord of the Flies. Uh, I can't remember. There's, there's there's apparent, any... Apparently, nineteen ninety has one with uh, Balthazar Gay. But I've yeah, that's that. the one. Yeah, Young Guns uh, Two. Young Guns Two. Yeah. <laughs> Take your medicine, son. Um, yeah. What I, what I was going to say was, um, for all of my criticism, though. Movies like this, I love, and the reason I love them is because they're very goofy. And I must say mm. that Peter Horton doing his own stunts is probably one of the funniest <laughs> things you're going to see. And, and I said I was going to do this for Jaws 3D, and I forgot. Um, but I promise I will try and splice the uh, the Peter Horton hilarity reel and and put it on Twitter so you can watch it in isolation. <laughs> I sent a, a couple to you. My my, my favorite one yeah. is when he he gets stabbed. No, no, he, he stabs Malachi. And then he yep. turns around and bumps into a, a, a big metal... Uh, Immediately like, smacks his head on a big wheel. Oh, on a wheel. If you want to watch somebody oh, yeah. who, kn- who knows they're going to walk into something, <laughs> yeah. pretend that they're not, It's that's the perfect, right? He goes yeah. way early on the... Ah! You ever do that thing when you're a kid and you um you open a door and you sort of kick the door intentionally and then it's <laughs> yeah. dramatic? Oh. Yeah. The, yeah. The other one's where he's running away. Uh, oh, I noticed everyone goes... Seize him, but he's never actually seizing him himself. Like Malachi's giving a lot of commands, but he's, he's yeah. Some of the running's great, though, isn't it? And when when oh. he when he falls down as he's being chased, <laughs> he's Horton. aiming for the mat, and he he's like, yeah. "There's the mat. I'm going to jump and spread. Oh my! He was a TV oh, actor, wasn't he? He's not a leading man in a film. But what, what about when he kind of preaches to the children to denounce everything? Do, is he convincing? To it's embarrassing. It's oh, embarrassing. that was a leading question. Yeah. I know. But even even the way that he's defending himself, he's like he's almost tapping the sticks. Like, yeah, yeah, I've got to look like I'm I'm fending them off. So he's like tap tap tap. Get back. Tap tap tap. tap. When he's slapping uh, Malachi, yeah. he's a good yard away from his face. It's uh, yeah, it's quite well. Peter Horton would never make it in the WWE. B or F. He's just not <laughs> no, selling man. the hits. It's interesting that he has no no closed fists. He's just going open handed slaps the whole time on. It's um... kids in it. Can't punch him. I I think I think honestly probably it was. To be fair to Peter Horton, I'm I'm not convinced that he's much of a much of a screen presence. What about his reaction to the corn raping? To be honest with you, the the corn wrapping him again <laughs> in e- in the in the Evil Dead, it's sticks and it's vines. But mm-hmm. to watch a corn, a corn dog ear <laughs> leaf <laughs> wrap, wrap around yeah. him, just there's something just inherently the fact that funny he's about struggling it. To, to fight he's off struggling. a leaf. Oh, it's great. <laughs> it doesn't say much for our protagonist, does it? I also love as well that, like, and again, this, this is <laughs> it's intentional, right? That he can't throw a Molotov cocktail, so the, oh, kid, has to, yeah. the kid has to then go and get it. Of which he goes he's left-handed, like, which is <laughs> and then he's like. 
throw it again, but this do time do it properly. I was like, yes, go well done, Jobby, for giving him some shit. Is it is fun favorite. that he keeps trying to tell Joe to 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 get out, get out of here, and then he he realizes that he can't fucking do anything. He's like, how do I turn? How do I turn this up? <laughs> it's an attachment. He's looking at the attachments like, uh, which one? <laughs> Aren't you a doctor? Like, what the fuck? You're there. He's not a doctor of irrigation systems, is he? <laughs> I'd expect him to have like a little bit more cognitive uh, skill when it comes down to attaching <laughs> things. He's like that. He's been hit in the head multiple times by himself. Are we <laughs> to assume that um, Isaac died in the explosion? Well, that's another thing. Don't bring him back as Talc Boy and then yeah. and then literally not see him die. Like it was just, just well, stupid. Also, I mean, he popped off like a bloody rocket. <laughs> <laughs> He really should have been like, I'll get you next time, Gadget. But <laughs> <laughs> then, why did they explode him upwards in, in, instead of having the earth consume him? Why didn't he, why didn't he sink into the ground? And then when he reemerges, <laughs> yeah, easier to do. <laughs> These are the he had to walk I'm back like... across that whole cornfield as Talc Boy. <laughs> this is where it, it, it pulls me back in. Where I'm like, actually, you know what? For all of my criticisms, don't change anything about children of the court. It's so, I mean, honestly, Talc Boy coming back, when he flies off in the air, it is so <laughs> funny. It's like he's on a fucking pogo stick. And it's just like... <laughs> oh, oh, poor little Isaac. Who gets the ham new? I, I would give it to uh, Malachi. I'd give them both. Rucker it ah. is for, for the for the burbs. He's a cloak. Yeah, okay. yeah but yeah. He's, he's also in Back to the Future. Like, scram, McFly. And he takes yeah. her for the dance on the dance floor. Wow. Is that really him? And then George <laughs> McFly steps back in and the yeah, Earth yeah. Angel, yeah. that's the best that's bit. That's him. But he's like ragging, um, ragging her around. Apparently he was a, a, a pretty intense little kid as, as a real person. There's a story on the, um, that his audition was that, uh, he turned up to the audition at, at New World Pictures and pulled out a fucking giant prop knife and held it to the fucking casting director's <laughs> neck. Wow. Got in the gig. Got in what, the gig and, is... and the casting director almost quit. What yeah, does Bruce Dern my... call him in the burbs? It's the funniest <laughs> fucking line. Hey, Pinocchio. Pinocchio. And he said, you're going. Oh, so yeah. good. There's another yeah. rocker it is, though, which is a deal with the mechanic. He was in, uh, he was General Phillips in Predator. Yes, yes, I recognize, oh. I did recognize him. Yeah. It's good to see you, General. <laughs> yeah. Been a, been, been a long time. Then. And, and, and Amos has been on the show before. Uh, he was one of the surfer dudes in Point Break. Okay. Yeah. And he was in, in Tombstone. He's got a little role in Tombstone. And you could tell that he's just this uber attractive model like American actor at the time that would have got through a lot of casting agencies. And, um, yeah, he was in Point Break. Wow, back off, War Child. Good spot. That is amazing. That <laughs> is good. Rook who it is. <laughs> mm. Very, very good. Okay, well, um, I don't think we'll do favourite scenes. I've got a favourite shot. I quite like the... Uh, no, I quite like Deal looking out in the cornfield with the sky that's... It's a mm, super The days imposed, of heaven. Magic yeah. hour. But the, the clouds sped up and then the cornfields, you know, oh, it's right. uh, yeah. the superimposed, like, looming danger that's coming i thought that was a, a really effective midwestern america epic drama shot I, I thought that there was shots here and there that were actually really well composed and well lit but one of them was actually a mistake the dop was sick but he hung in there and made the day but he set the wrong f-stop it's when they go in the roof of the barn and the scene just goes black 
for ages and then they reached the window and i thought this was the one you were referring to patrick where it's like magic hour and it looks out onto the cornfield and there's a really nice nice shot there and uh i wondered if the second unit was responsible for for some of the better better shots but um i perhaps not perhaps they perhaps they actually knew what they were doing that's a, that I, actually relates back to days of heaven where the dap lost his eyesight didn't he and he got the Oh, camera yeah, assistant to, to focus it all uh, yeah mm. i think you've got to put it into you've got to you've got to bear in mind four weeks i mean that's the thing isn't it you know four weeks to make a nine yeah, minute yeah, run man. time let's suggest that they probably got two hour maybe the script was maybe one hour 45 and they've cut it down because uh, there are there are there are bits of information and there are scenes that simply don't hang together in the film that we see um mm. But you know, I think for four weeks it's it's that I, I say I'm having a giggle. But the the goofier moments are what what keep this thing alive for me. And yeah. also, we all know that my favorite thing is to set something up nice and early and have it pay off. So when you've got a doctor that doesn't smoke throughout the entire film that gets a lighter for his birthday, <laughs> I personally love that move. So he has one cigarette <laughs> in the car. He has one cigarette in the car. Oh, he doesn't fucking puff. He, he just lights it for the look. <laughs> I don't, I don't light it. I don't light it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, big Willie style. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there was, there was competence across a lot of the, 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 the framing. And I think that the editing of the sequences of him walking around town looked pretty good it went on for a bit long it was also a that was the part of the film where it broke down into people go places do things like it kind mm. of yeah we're but not also, developing the, the story at that point yeah oh, we're not getting any first, new information yeah the first 50 minutes for me is actually pretty pretty rapid i quite like it there is a um, lot of and then and then this happened and then this happened yeah mm. and uh, we haven't right. mentioned it but um i mean it's a bit it's a bit omen the music but the music's suitably creepy oh i, I like it yeah. i like it a lot there's some nice little um like twinkly it. uh nightmare on elm street-esque little flourishes as well in there which is the same year it's um i think it goes goes a long way to sell the sell the the, the atmosphere i could keep quiet but i'm going to be a dissenting voice there i hated the soundtrack <laughs> too heavy-handed heavy and uh right. I just thought it was completely obvious and now oh, let's put some choir on it and uh, <laughs> Devlin, you you touched upon why it kind of did well, you know, from that, uh, for want of a better word, softcore horror. Speaking of softcore, the DOP used to dabble in quite a lot of sex movies. But um, what, why, why has it spawned eleven sequels? What's the, what's the popularity there? Well, there's what well, what's incredible is that there is a huge gap between one and two. I don't think that they make a sequel, direct sequel, until 1992. And I think what you've got there is you've got essentially exploitable IP. And I think it must just be that a renewing lot of the rights films, as well, devs, as in uh, make, yeah, keep them, yeah, probably. Um, and I, I think that a lot of this comes from a lot of what we end up seeing can be based on what you could sell. And I think that this film did well enough, but I think it really had a second life as a American. Kate, probably cable tv staple i think they played this sci-fi channel so picked it up much. as well right yeah. so you know you, you've yeah. got to think when we mentioned it patrick you know king had a strong 90s even mm. maybe not in his written works as in stuff he was publishing but the, his old works well, being big being yeah, yeah of course yeah so probably it was just a a case of that 
New World Pictures smartly went into the library and they were like, well, it, it's exploitable. All you need is corn like, doesn't digest. It's, yep. it's, 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 it's literally exploitable, which is like, that's what you want when you have these, uh, when you have this kind of stuff, it's like, how, what can we sell? People seem to like this film well enough, even all these years later. Let's just, and then, then that was it. They were just banging them out. Miramax bought the rights at one point and they were just banging them out as like straight to video blockbuster. They were Dimension uh, Home Videos. Uh, yeah, There's yeah. something about cultism like this, though, isn't there? Yeah. Wicker Man has longevity, yeah. and it's... It felt like a folk America. horror to me. Yeah, it felt like yeah. it, folk, it fit into it. that genre. I was just going to say, like, I've not seen this 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 latest version. Um, mm-hmm. From what I've read, it's 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 got awful. But all the things right. that we've talked about that they could have maybe used for for this movie... There's definitely, I mean, again, you might not be, it it might not be as fun what we've discussed about, you know, generational gaps, but, you know, we're living through pretty difficult times now. And and younger generations are certainly seemingly in the Western world, not being afforded the opportunities that they're, uh, you know, that they're the older generations were given, you know, okay, boomer. Um, So there's 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 tension there to be explored, and Children of the Corn I think would be a good vessel to do that. It's whether or not Mm -hmm. you know who's going to stump up the money, and do people really want to watch a film about? But I would, as a fantasy, if I were like sixteen, seventeen at the minute, and thinking about how the fact that my opportunities in life are more diminished than than my dad's, um, maybe I would be like, yeah, I'm up for a fantasy where I get to kind of I don't know. Who run the world? Corn. You know. Good? <laughs> very good. I've got a little breakdown of the sequels, if you'd like me to go through them very, very quickly. I would, yes, please, man. Um, apparently, <laughs> some of them never saw the light of day, like including the remake for a while. I think that was the, the, the COVID era issues. I think four, five, and six, and maybe beyond our Dimension video, straight to video releases, um five i think but don't quote me has got fred williamson the nam vet from from dust till dawn and uh kill bill himself um carradine in it uh so that's like the tarantino years children of the corn um and kane hodder and alexis arquette are also in five does john franklin come back in them he comes back in one of them. I can't remember which one. It's uh, it's Children of the Corn six six six. Isaac's return or Isaac's, Isaac's revenge, return. I think. Yes, yeah. the Talc uh, Boy back. Yeah. <laughs> Children of the Corn Revelation has Michael Ironside hey. in it. Yeah. Uh, and as as the films go on, they sort of manage to crowbar in hot chicks making out in cornfields with their shirts open, like sometimes in a bath, <laughs> and, and sometimes. <laughs> Like the kind of like Eliza Dushku in Wrong Turn, like with little jean okay. shorts. So that that kind of thing starts to happen as it goes. Don't on. forget Lots about of, a white uh, tank top with some black bra. T- mm, <laughs> yeah. Uh, two actually looks quite interesting. Arrow video released it, so I'm guessing it's quite culty. Good old Arrow. And- Oh, I believe that's the one where uh, an old person gets launched through the window of a cafe at one point on a wheelchair. Which yeah, there's the an only- old lady. In an electric wheelchair that is controlled by the uh, the corn kids, and uh, they they put her into the middle of the street. It it is like Mrs. Deagle. She goes straight through a bingo <laughs> uh, a window of a bingo caller's uh, thing, and some guy shouts bingo. So that yes! that one gets quite uh, <laughs> campy. Wow. Uh, I think number three is called Urban Terror, uh, and that's got some um, 
slightly suspect uh, depictions of minorities. Uh, And then it goes, it it gets a bit creepy kids, backwards, hillbillies, wrong turn, kind of hills have eyesy at at some point. But the one that the remake that you're referring to um, was more on the nose. It was like the, the kids are wearing costumes, like Amish costumes again, but they look brand new. And it looks like one of the It movies. Uh, it's got some terrible CGI. The, that slow, slow, fast jump scare thing sort of creeps its way in, uh, becomes quite generic. It just speaks to, as as Devlin said, it's an IP that you can essentially just transplant and put yeah. the mood music of whatever the horror of the day is. And It's, and, sev- and, it's and 17 pages, it and by the end of the, the first film, you've got rid of your Bert and Vicky characters to, to go off and, and live happily ever after as well. So, I mean... The, the fuck you keep the poster imagery you keep the name you can just you can just riff from that point i see some signs one says hemingford the other one says critics corner this non-digestible uh high fiber source that i want what are we saying what are the critics <laughs> saying about it uh roger ebert gave it one star um Whoa. He, he's he said uh and as usually, he wastes about three quarters of his word count sarcastically recounting the plot and then picks <laughs> it apart in the final quarter of his sort of review. Oh, it's like our podcast. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he said, at the end, those of us who are left in the theater cling to one faint hope that our patience will be rewarded by an explanation, no matter how bizarre, of the thing that moves behind the rose. No luck. Instead, the movie generates into a routine action sequence involving lots of flames and screams and hairbreadth escapes. By the end of Children of the Corn, the only thing moving behind the rows is the audience fleeing to the exits. Uh, that's how you get a Pulitzer. Gene Siskel chimed in with his uh, killer children in a Nebraska cornfield. He called it shockingly violent all the way through and offensive. It's in direct opposition to the director who said he was keen to keep the violence a la Psycho in terms of knife impacts that were never actually explicitly seen. Siskel added, uh, the group of kids are not the greatest actors and referred to the film as junk and went to the extent of apologizing for even showing brief scenes to the audience on the At The Movies segment. Ebert added a slight positive at the end, observed that, observing that we, as in America, for them, have a strange preoccupation with evil kids and it must say something about the society because it wasn't the only film that was like this and it did spawn many many sequels as we've mm. discussed pop quiz hot shot a reminder of the scores matt and dev lead the way on six wins each gal is on two and guess eight and them are on one each so let me hear your buzzer devlin question me not malachi uh, Matt, buzzer, please. Silence, interloper. Short, snappy, I like these. Galley, uh, buzzer, please. Outlander! <laughs> oh, great. These might be my favourite buzzers. Um, okay, let's start. Question one. Question one is, what's the name of the coffee shop on Sarah's drawing? Question me not, Malachi. <laughs> Devlin. Uh, is it Hanson's Cafe? Oh. Hanson's. It's close, but I'm I'm afraid it's incorrect. Silence, interloper. Matthew. Is it Hansen's? <sighs> so close. Outlander! Gally. Hayes Cafe? Oh, it's Hannah's. 
can say H-A-N-E-R-Z. Yeah, it, I thought that was a tricky one. Sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> question two. What's the name of Deal's assistant mechanic dog? Outlander! Oh, oh Gally. Sarge. Sarge is correct. Well done. Oh, Sarge yeah. is correct for one. There you go. Gally leading the way and we can be, as we approach question three. Is Gally going to get another win here? Question three. On uh, UK uh, Monopoly board, um, the second dark blue square is called Mayfair. What is it called on the US board that Sarah charges $13,100 to... Uh, Question me not, Malachi. Christopher, you were first. Oh, shit. Okay, uh, I think it's Broadway. That's incorrect. Outlander! Gully. Queen's Park? Nope. And Matt, let's hear your buzzer and you can have a go. Silence, interloper. Is it Park Avenue? No, it's Boardwalk. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me just work this out. Have I... Have I technically won by default? Gally has won by default. Oh. He's won one to nothing to nothing. However, there's a bonus question. Okay, oh, but, it doesn't, but it's not the real quiz. Yeah, it's not the real quiz. <laughs> <laughs> this is the real quiz. This is, good, this is tying the shoes and throwing it over the shop. Um, yeah. How many killings? Outlander! Gally? Twelve. It's close, but no, sorry. This is a tough question. question. Not Malachi. It's not counting for the whole town. It's just what kind of we, we're aware of. Is it? Is it thirteen? Because that's one more than twelve, and it's a good number. Incorrect. Sorry. Silence, interloper. Matthew. I'll go with ten. I counted seventeen kills. Oh. The majority of which, of course, is twelve in the cafe alone. There you go. Now you got Joseph, Deal, Sergeant, Malachi, and I'm counting the demons slash uh, Isaac as well. Well played, guys. Gally, well done. You got back on the, on the scoreboard after a while off, so you're now on three wins. Well done. Well played. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, um, I suppose that leaves us to, uh, to surmise our final thoughts. Um, I'll start with you, Devon. Final thoughts on Children of the Corn, and would you recommend it to our horror lust fan base that have been waiting at least three years since the last horror film and this is what we gave them um i for everything we just said about it and the fact that it is an enormous missed opportunity in many ways this is a thematically quite fertile ground we've all said it um the soil is uh, ripe <laughs> um most of that was left in the can uh, on the shelf. Um, <laughs> for all that, I actually find it really enjoyable to watch. I, I watched it uh, of my own accord. I just watched it because it was on Shudder and I wanted to watch something that was low impact and maybe a bit fun and nostalgic. And I had a really fun time watching it. I rewatched it again when we decided to do it for the podcast and I still really enjoyed it. And then I watched it for a third time to sort of pick out some notes and whatnot. And I still didn't hate it. And that is fucking high praise to some of the absolute dreck that we have to watch for this shit so um <laughs> i i really enjoyed it i thought i thought it was it was really fun it's i can understand why it became a bit of a low stakes late night cable staple uh and i can see why a lot of people maybe when they watched it young kind of locked in an idea of it i think that uh fritz kirsch for all of his career not really blossoming into a particularly 
grandiose career. I think he did quite well for himself. He mostly, he he knocked around the lower budget regions for a decade and a half, two decades maybe, kind of. I, I think if you open out with a new world picture like this, the expectation is not that you will go on to be James Cameron. The expectation is that you may be able to somehow string out a decent enough career and make a bit of money. Uh, he seemed to do so. He was perfectly effective. Um, and I think that uh, um, his intention, which was to keep most things off screen, I think it worked. And I think it worked to the detriment of what I would have enjoyed, but probably to the benefit of the film itself and its reputation. So uh, I say, if you haven't seen it, go for it. I kind of want to watch the second one now. If only to see an old lady get launched through. <laughs> Bingo! Bingo! <laughs> what do you reckon, Patrick? Would you, uh, would you come back for more corn? Get that corn out of my face! <laughs> um, I, I don't think I enjoyed it as much as you, so I'm a bit more of a, a husk on, uh, oh. <laughs> on reflection. Um, it, it's fine. I, you know what? I wasn't, Bored, but that said, I did want more more killings, and it, it left me wanting more. Certainly, it's um, uh, but uh, yeah, I was laughing along. I was entertained. I wasn't yeah, I wasn't properly bored. It just um, did feel like every step they took was almost a misstep after a very quite strong opening. Um, <clears throat> I didn't mind the way it looked, and I like Sarah Connor. Um, it just Entered, for how much fun you had with it, Dev, I, I didn't actually have that much fun with it. Sorry. It's, and it was more laughing at, well, sometimes I like laughing at it, but it's just didn't, didn't hold me. I, I did like, um, John Franklin. I thought it was good. Courtney Gaines was pretty good and menacing. Just left, it left me feeling like I wanted more, which I, I think I've said several times during this because I can't think of what else to say. It's fine. I, I didn't mind the music, Matt, um, at all. I, I thought it suited the film tonally, which was good. Um, I don't think I want to watch the second one. Maybe the clip. You can send me the clip, please. Yeah, that, that'd be great. And we could have a laugh with it. And you know, you know, we always say maybe if I watch it with you guys over a few beers and um, some corn margarita pizzas, then I, <laughs> I'd enjoy it a lot more and get get more out of it and have a laugh. Uh, but it makes it a bit harder for me to recommend at the moment because I'm not in that mm. situation. Gally? Um, well, I think I'm going to ascribe this as a bit like corn relish. Um, it exists. You very rarely use it. When you take <laughs> it initially, especially when you put it on a burger, you think, well, I can deal with this. But some, but it, but it, it doesn't digest. It doesn't stay. And in the end, it comes Even the out. relish doesn't digest? Well, the the chunky bits, yeah, and then it ends up <laughs> becoming nuggets in your shit, which is kind of where <laughs> Children of the Corn lives for me. Um, <laughs> I'm, 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 <laughs> Galleon I, food is uh, is a match made in heaven. Yeah, this one. I mean, I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep with this analogy. Uh, I think I fall between uh, both stools uh, between Patrick and Devlin. So yeah, for me, it, yeah. Thank you very much. Ta-ta! Um, yeah, uh, wordsmith uh, galore. No, um, I listen. I enjoy it for what it is, um, and if if it does anything, it reminds me of a time when we don't get these types of films anymore. Because made you know, Corman esque production, four weeks, 
um, to to get a movie out with a with an IP. So it's not like it's some you know it's low rent stuff, but it's you know it's, it's coming from a credible source. Um, Corn relish the, sauce. Yeah, indeed. There's missed opportunities galore, though. Um, it is a little bit of a time sponge. There's a good 20, 25 minutes where basically there's no development in the story and there's no in- new information. And I feel like they could have filled that with something more interesting. Maybe just explored the dynamic uh, and, and pulled on some of those tensions that I think that, that they are there, Devlin, as you say. They're, they're sprinkled throughout, but they're just, um, you know, I hate to say that this is nuanced, but it's just they just don't, they just don't explore it. Um, but... Bert running around like a, a madman. <laughs> Bert um, hi- hiding a, a dead body in the boot, trying to find a morgue <laughs> as a kind of like find a morgue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are there are elements of the movie. Was he going to drive me... into Seattle and try and? Yeah, well, this is it. Like, I mean, there were elements of it that just made me laugh because I was like, as if this is where you this is what you would do. But you know, kind of that's that's the joy of it is that it feels uh, both schlocky and goofy. In, in the the right sense, uh, um, I just wish it was more horrific and more more of a horror film that the poster promises um, and the premise kind of sets up and the opening sequences minus Alfalfa's uh, voiceover um, no. kind of sets Milk up mustache. Yeah, but I'm a bit like you, Devlin. I think it's passive, it's easy, it's accessible, um, and it is kind of fun. This was a frustrating watch for me, or at least it would have been. If it had done enough to get me invested, um, I think it's it's all there in the short story. And in many ways, it's a perfect example of what a, a short literary story can do that a motion picture perhaps can't. And or maybe it just doesn't in this instance. But um, rather than posing mysterious and e- eerie questions, it sort of answers them all too. Um, Gally's already done his food analogies but i was going to ask you um because <laughs> uh, I, I, I felt maybe a food analogy would work better but i'm not very good at them um we've run out of corn puns but i i think what you need in this kind of film is a combination of two things so establishing what the horror is and what what is the monster and what is the monster capable of and then you have to ask how much do you show and do you do you, you you can only show what you need to show to articulate that thing that concept and then try and leave the rest to the imagination so i'm not too sure what two foods they would be that complemented each other but mm. perhaps you could you've already done I mean, it. It, it was a bit like jaws 3 in the sense that the premise is fine i mean jaws 3's locale like the the, the milieu was fine it just it's what they did with that setting that was wrong here. They sort of half get it right. I think that the evil kids, the unspoken hidden secrets, the religious subtext, and uh, you know, it's quite a scathing attack on what strict doctrine can do to the youth. And, uh, and then all the family unit stuff with, with Linda Hamilton and uh, our friend Horton. Um, the biggest problem was I just didn't really enjoy it. It was just all right. It, it was sort of what I expected quality wise. And um, I think I was quite shrewd as a kid for not, not picking it up and watching it. So I'm going to wax my own car. <laughs> um, I was about halfway through when, when uh, they're walking around the deserted house and I couldn't help but feel that I wasn't engaged in the mystery enough. And it, it relied on a lot of clumsy misdirection 
and uh although the the it's a really scary concept like the idea of he who walks behind the rose i did feel like it failed to live up to that promise um so yeah it was quite a sluggish 90 minutes for me and i can't recommend this one i have to be quite strict because i think there are better 90 minute horrors from the 80s that supersede this and uh just dig into that search of um in search of darkness documentary series that i mentioned earlier and you'll find a bunch of stuff that i think you'll you'll probably enjoy a little bit more i wonder how good this would be as a solid 45 minute episode of the twilight zone or mm. you know like a black mirror episode or something along yeah. those lines where you could be a bit more scathing mm. a little bit more out there and you don't necessarily have to pad the time you end it on a sting instead of sort of trying to wrap everything up yeah it's yeah. funny if, if fans of inside number nine there was a recent episode that did a very similar story in a way and it was quite effective and it shows mm. that like short stories sometimes have yeah. it's a struggle to expand in the wrong hands anyway uh where can i mean i know where i can find corn but where can our <laughs> listeners find children of the porn uh uk friends can find it on uh freeview freeview uh, free, freeview sorry freeview uh, yeah it's, it's part prime of amazon prime yeah yeah oh cool okay uh shudder and the arrow channel streaming mm. you gotta pay for all them yeah uh yeah add-ons uh, our American friends, Prime Video, AMC Plus, Arrow Channel, Hoopla, Plex, Roku and Tubi, and a new one, Vix, Vaporub. Oh, Vix. <laughs> <laughs> what did you watch it on, man? Uh, Voodoo. Java. <laughs> it's also, uh, if you're in Korea, you can watch it on Wave, and you can watch it for Nish on YouTube, as it's in our um, Rewind Movie cast playlist on our site it's i think there's like three versions of it in hd on uh, youtube at the moment so you can get it for nothing before we go devlin it's time to sell some of our shits yes so <laughs> you tell our listeners where they can uh, where they can pick up some of our merchandise how about a new world pictures uh, t-shirt Dev? Mm, Ooh, that's a great idea. i i do have a i do have an aip shirt um which you can pick up at uh devlin does drawing.tmill.com that's the tmill store uh, you can link to that via rewindmoviecast.com. You go to the, uh, head to the shop tab on the top of the screen there. That's going to take you through to the Tmail store. There is uh, a variety of shirts, totes, stickers, prints, various things of anything that I feel like I've not fucked up. Um, uh, I don't know whether there'll be anything for Children of the Corn. I do like this idea of a New World uh, Pictures shirt. That would go very nicely with our AIP, American International Pictures shirt. And also we have a Canon Films shirt in there as well. So, yeah. So yeah, if you like what we do, then please like, share, subscribe, spread the gospel team. Uh, but don't go too fundamentalist. Okay? We don't like that. It's dangerous. Um, but yeah, please do that. We really appreciate it. It means that more people can come to the pool party and then uh, it's fun for everybody. So yeah, uh, we've we've definitely 100% over the last couple of weeks had a major uh, kind of upsurge in uh, in Canada. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but that's because of the Aiden. midnight run, maybe in Aiden. But also, um. Um, lots of people in Sheffield. I don't know anyone in Sheffield because uh, ever since Leadmill uh, was, was closed down, uh, I don't know anyone there. Well, if so, that's Tim yeah. Morris listening, hey Tim, that's my friend yeah. in Sheffield. Hello, Tim. Ah. Um, but yeah, Jimbo. that's it. Jimbo. Jimbo. <laughs>
Canterbury Tales. The Canterbury Tales. Chaucer. So, um, we'll say our goodbyes then, shall we, team? We shall indeed. Thank you very much. Should you eat corn that has fallen off the stalk? May as well. It's Gally in Glasgow, signing <laughs> oh, out. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I spy with my little eye, something beginning with C. It's Devon in London. Answer me there, buddy. It's Patrick in London. Thank you. <laughs> oh, oh, green giant. It's Matt in South <laughs> Oh, thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. Do you know about a strange condition? Or has you-